Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Listen in, hear me. I may not pass this way again. Hello and welcome to the Robert Lane Creative Careers Podcast, the podcast about creativity and making a living in the arts. This episode of the podcast features a conversation with singer-songwriter Emily Barker. I'm on a mission to help you unlock your creativity. I'm sharing my journey as a musician, actor and writer, as well as offering online content like guitar and songwriting tutorials and chat about creativity. I'm doing this because I know how important creativity is for mental health and I believe everyone has a creative spirit. I want to help you find yours. Join me at robertlaymusic.co.uk and on social media as Robert Lane Music. Thank you. Hi, Emily. How are you? I am good, Rob. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm fine. Thank you. Um, Thanks know... for having me on the podcast. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat to me. It's going to be um, really interesting. I spoke to Lucas a fair while ago now, actually, on the podcast. I think kind of probably start of the summer. Um so yeah, I'll be meaning to catch up with you as well and <laughs> compare notes, I guess, a little bit about some oh, of the stuff yeah. we were talking about. Oh yeah, see what a, what sort of match we make. That's it. Yeah, a musical match. In fact, we'll start <laughs> there. Why not? If you know, you don't have to tell me this stuff. But how did you guys meet? Was it a musical meeting to begin with? Yes, it was. Yeah, it was in I think around 2012, something like that. And we we met on a boat on our way to Sark to play the folk festival. And we both had the same booking agent at the same time. Uh And he was with Three Duff Monkeys and I was with the Red Clay Halo at the time. And we all met on the boat and all got along and then went to this festival and all drank a lot of wine together and watched each other's bands and we sort of became friends then. And then some years later, uh, we were in touch again and, and just happened to both be single and off it went. Great. And it was a musical thing as well as a romantic thing, sort of hand in hand, or did one come first? No, it was, we, we hadn't worked together ever before. So it was a, it was a romance. <laughs> and then I think it took us about six to eight months, something like that, to, before we started playing together, because we both had all these book, uh, gigs booked up already. And he was playing in about uh, a million bands at the time, at least. And um, so, yeah, so he wound down some of that stuff, uh, other things, and and so we could tour together, which was quite unique for both of us because we'd not had that before with a partner. And it's just been wonderful because it's meant that we don't spend all our time apart. Well, yes. I mean, we spend all our time together now, no gigs happen. Yes. Yeah. Well, in terms of the touring <laughs> then, um, having a tour mate that you get on with obviously makes life a lot easier. But in my experience, whoever it is, there are moments when, you know, you just can't stand how they're eating their breakfast or whatever it is. So how does that kind of stuff play into a couple as well? Is it? Is oh, it yeah. Tricky? Yeah, we have our moments. Don't worry. Yeah, we're normal in that way. Um, but I think in general, we're really, really good on the road together. And we've both done it a lot um, for many years and sort of know you know, the rhythms of it and, you know, if you need a little bit of space or time or, you know, an afternoon sleep or whatever, we're just, yeah, we're quite, I would say, easygoing with each other about that and um, 
yeah, and quite an efficient team when we're a duo as well, um, you know, with driving and sharing the drives and um, and setting up. And we, we sort of allocate different roles so that mm. it works really smoothly, actually. And I'll go and do merch whilst Lucas packs up. And and then we'll sort of, by the time I finish doing merch, he's generally packed up and we're ready to go. <laughs> so, yeah, so it's great. It's, it, yeah, I miss it a lot. Um, yeah. Well, this is the thing, isn't it? We're talking there about stuff that hasn't been able to happen for quite a while now, to be fair. Mm. I think it's interesting because when I spoke to Lucas, we were kind of quite early on in this, I think, um, just adjusting to this idea that we might not play shows for a bit. And Mm. we're still there. We haven't played shows for a long time. And I don't know. How do you feel? It sort of feels like we can't guarantee anything like normal shows still for quite quite an unforeseeable amount of time. Yeah, my relationship to not doing shows changes. And initially, when things started disappearing from the diary with all the cancellations, I was really gutted. And, you know, another month would go past. And then suddenly the September festivals were gone. And, you know, they kept on dropping off. Um, And it was really hard to let go of initially this idea that we wouldn't be gigging. And I also had plans to release a new album, which I've done now, despite everything. But there was a lot of conversation about whether or not we should do that, because usually a big way of promoting any album is by doing live shows. Um, But so we thought, well, maybe we can push it back to January 2021. And then very soon realized, you know what, we might still be in this in January 2021. So let's just release the album. So we did that a few weeks ago um, at the beginning of September. Mm-hmm. And I was sort of all right with um, not doing gigs in the lead up to the releasing the record because there was so much to do. There's so much admin and making videos and photo shoots and communication and you know, marketing and all the boring stuff. Oh, well, the videos and photos are quite fun, but, you know, the more administrative side of of being a musician. Mm -hmm. So in a way, it was quite good to not be touring whilst trying to do that as well. And then when the album came out, I just – we did one gig on that weekend, Lucas and I, as a duo. We went to Bexhill and played at Delaware Pavilion um, in conjunction with Music's Not Dead Record Shop. And so your ticket was a CD or a vinyl record and it was all socially distanced and everything. And mm-hmm. it felt great, even though, the, you know, there were these limitations, still felt wonderful. And then after that, I just had about a week after releasing the album, I just had a real downer because it I really felt like I need to be out there on the road celebrating this release because otherwise it sort of can feel quite easily that it didn't happen. Like you've spent three years of your life um, leading up to make it to releasing this album, you know, by the time you've written the songs mm-hmm. and recorded or rehearsed them and recorded them and, and got a release plan together. It's about three years of your life. And, and I just, yeah, about a week after was like, Oh my God, did that even happen? Because we're, we've got this parallel online existence now, yeah. which is, um, sort of blurs into, you know, life not online reality. And there's, it's just such a blur sometimes. Uh, yeah, can feel, I just feel, felt a little deflated despite the album doing really well and lots of wonderful feedback. So I really missed gigs in that moment and still do sort of right now. 
um, again, I got my head around that. I was like, okay, fine. That's just how it is. And going to keep on, you know, promoting the record in ways that I can. And we'll do something special online as a full band later on. Mm-hmm. Um, but now I just feel like with the new restrictions again, there's sort of this like, again this uh feeling of like oh my gosh when is this gonna when are we gonna get out of this it could be you know it might even be festivals next year Mm. you know not Mm. being able to go ahead so it's quite it's quite a tricky time you know to get your head around if you as you know people who are used to being out on the road and and having that as big part of their life not only you know dependent financially but also just as a way of spending your time that is really fulfilling that that you know get a lot of joy from um yeah so it's, it changes it, and it's not just the shows is it it's the <clears throat> as you say it's three years work into an album but sometimes a tour can be quite a, a long amount of work before actually the, the gigs themselves in terms of yeah. thinking about where you're going to play getting diaries to work and all that sort of stuff and whether it's an artist doing that for themselves or in conjunction with other people, that's quite a task yeah. to get all that stuff yeah, together. Yeah, it's so a lot of it, logistics. So for that to mm. be, the rug to be pulled under you in that way mm. is quite a strange thing. It's like months of work. But then I, I yeah. wondered, is this the first year in a long time that going out and playing shows hasn't been something that you've been doing? Have you had other years where you haven't done it much? No, I've, I've never stood still for this amount of time in my entire life. Like when I was 17, I left. I left home and I moved up to Perth but travelled around Australia and then when I was 19 I hopped on a flight and went abroad for the first time and came here to England as a backpacker and travelled around for three years really all around the world um, just sort of working in bars and waitressing and and writing songs and doing some gigs and open mic nights, you know, mm-hmm. as and when I could. But I was so restless and I just – you know, wanted to see the world and I'd had a wonderful childhood but, you know, very um, sort of regional Australian and didn't go beyond that until, yeah, I was 19. So, um, yeah, so it was so good to get out and and then music became my career so then travelling was part of my profession, which I adore. And, yeah, I've just not not had a chance to to stand still for, you know, since I was 17 or whatever. So um, that's been really, uh, yeah, interesting in lots of ways. And I've really enjoyed aspects of it too, um, you know, just reaching out to my local community here in Stroud and developing relationships more here and enjoying the seasons, enjoying surra- our surrounds. You know, it's beautiful here in the in the Cotswolds and when we were in the thick of lockdown, Lucas and I were doing like three-hour walks a day or sometimes yes, longer yeah. and exploring all of the the area, which was really safe to do because there's not too many people. Mm-hmm. And we learned so much about the place that I've lived in for nine years um, that I just didn't know before. So there's been so many good things that have come, you know, out of it as well. It's not all been not all been bad, but just different, yeah. And how about from a creative sense then? I mean, how how does it normally work for you in a normal year? Do you have writing periods? Are you writing the whole time? Do you keep office hours? And has that been different this year? Have you had more opportunity to be creative in that sense? I've had more opportunity to be, but I haven't been. (laughs) That's the interesting thing that so many people I've spoken mm. to have said. It's People just haven't always felt like it. 
No, I haven't. And I think if it had fallen at a time when I was leading up to recording an album, <clears throat> it would be a blessing. Yes. You know, it would be like, oh my goodness, I can't believe I've just been given this stop. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's fine with everybody, and I get to just write songs because in the lead up to my last record, I you know I wrote really intensely, so I I think I wrote thirty or more songs, something like that, and that was my everything and my whole focus. I was doing gigs as well, but yeah. um, but I was constantly writing as well, you know, wherever I could on the road, in backstage rooms, um, just on the fly, taking notes or thinking of lyrics and. Um, and then if I was home, I would designate, you know, a half days, mm-hmm. I would do a half, half day of admin and then a half day of writing something okay. in lead up to the album. But, um, then, because then I have this thing, it's very cyclical for me. So I sort of write and write and write and write obsessively. And then once the album has been made, I just need to step away from writing. I'm empty. I'm totally empty. And I can't even think about filling up with, mm. you know, or direction about something new. And I still feel like I'm in that now, having only just released the album, but also not now having an outlet to do gigs um, and let go of these songs, you know, or share the songs in that in that way. Yeah. They're sort of still with me and I can't can't move on from them. It's like a relationship that I have with them that I'm like, oh, I can't can't let them go yet or yeah i'm not ready to think about the next who comes next that's interesting (laughs) so Mm. and has that been the same with with every kind of album project or does it vary it has yeah it's just how it how it rolls and and i sort of need to remember not to put pressure on myself to do it you know it's fine i spent i wrote so many songs and it's just a different phase now um although i am just starting to now sort of collect i I sort of feel feel like it's a collecting period after Mm. where you just like start emerging again and and looking out for bits and pieces of inspiration and i've noticed that certain lines will come into my head like lyrics or something i'm like oh okay i can feel it starting to come back now and and yeah so that's just how it goes for me everybody's different but Mm. And it's just mm. about being available to it, then I guess. So that sort of yeah, it bits is of lyrical melody or whatever appear, and it's being able yeah. to just take them. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Rather than push them aside, or I mean, I have been creative in that I've I've last year started writing poetry mm. in um, I think about May, and I've been writing poetry. So that's been a great way of being creative without thinking about sort of work in the same way well this is the really interesting thing isn't it because mm. if your if your job is writing songs and being a musician and touring mm. that's a something that's really come home to me this year is that can be a different thing to being creative for the sake of being creative you, yeah you can tie yourself up in the idea that i have to make things that are gonna i don't know do you get this i have to make things that yeah. work at a gig or i have to make things that Mm-hmm. people might like whereas just yeah doing creativity, that's a part of a body of work to you know yes. that's going to be my next album you that's know. it whereas just doing creativity mm. for fun in the best way you don't need to worry about any of that you're just doing it for the no not at all we've also um lucas and i bought a house together mm-hmm. this year um and we moved in and it needs lots of painting and decorating so that has been a fun creative 
outlet as well and having <laughs> the know, space to colors. do the, the sorry the time to do that compared to being like doing that whilst being on the road and doing all the oh stuff. gosh we've done so much here yeah and we just never would have been able to do that before yeah. with our regular lives so that's been good and is there space for a studio there because that's the thing obviously you you know Lucas yeah a- well you're looking at my writing room Okay. which did not look like this before. But um, yeah, Good. this is sort of my space and got a lovely view out over uh, Green Hill and down into the valley. Um, yeah, so this is sort of what my space. And then Lucas has got his studio that's just up the road, Polyphonic Studio, mm-hmm. where he's he does work with um, clients doing engineering and production, uh, recording them. And so, yeah, we've got sort of separate spaces that that we each use. And how important is a space for you in terms of writing or being creative? Um, It's more a space of of the mind, I would say, for me. I love having a a space, like a physical space that um, I can be in and, you know, have books around me and and various instruments at my fingertips. I love that, but I, I actually... Um, it's more more a mental space for me to be mm. able to switch off from everything and shut a door and know that I'm not going to be interrupted and turn my phone off and, and just be able to delve into the song uh, knowing that I'm not going to be disturbed in in five minutes. So, it's yeah, it's sort of a, a bit of both, but um, it's sort of allowing that space that space in my life I suppose to free up everything to hand yourself over to the song and is there a difficulty in that being a an independent musician as well like it it seems to me because you kind of were doing we may have people who help us and do stuff for us but basically we're doing everything so as much Mm. as you're writing or thinking about recording you also might be thinking about an email that you need to respond to or all that stuff how much of the not the sort of the everyday stuff as you say, creating a space without that is that mm. is that a challenge? Or I don't find it difficult at all. I'm quite compartmentalised mm. as a person. I'm quite good at going right. This is that. That is that. Okay. I need to. Um, I'm going to give myself this amount of time to do my emails and get back to everything, and then I'm stopping at lunchtime, having a break for whatever amount of time, and then I go into. And I'm quite. Uh, yeah, I mean better some days than others but quite disciplined at like not checking any of stuff that's coming in mm. until um you know i've i'm i'm happy that i've had the right uh, amount of creative focus mm-hmm. um but yeah i'm quite i'm quite quite all right at that i suppose being com- compartmentalized about it but it, it, there are so many aspects like you say of being a musician and it's it can be tricky to switch between them sometimes but I find that the more I do that the, the easier that switch becomes mm. and there's an experience mm. thing I guess as well you know you've once you've done something for a while you, you you just find out what works best for you as I guess and as you mentioned everybody has a different approach yeah. with this stuff yeah totally I'm sorry to interrupt the conversation at this point, but I wondered if I could ask you if you might possibly consider subscribing to the podcast, rating it, and writing a review on your favourite podcast provider. Doing these wonderful things encourages the all-powerful algorithms to push the podcast to new people. It's also helpful when I'm talking to potential future guests, as it shows that people are listening. Thank you. I wonder if we could go back a step then. So you mentioned Mm. coming over to the UK from Australia. Um, 
was that with an intention of doing music or or not? I don't. I think perhaps not from what you'd said earlier. Yeah, no, not at all. I um, I had a year off after school and stayed down in Bridgetown, where I'm from, in the southwest, and did loads and loads of different jobs to um, so that I could afford to go to uni and move mm. up to Perth, um, the capital city. And yeah, had a, had a position at uni to do architecture actually. Okay. And was really keen on doing that. But then just before the course started, I changed my mind to do a Bachelor of Arts degree right. and lots of different, um, subjects, English literature and history and uh, art history and blah, blah, blah. But, um, I did, I did a year at uni and I just really struggled with, um, having a sense of, purpose or direction or I didn't really feel like I really knew what I was doing or that I massively wanted to be there and and even though Perth is a tiny city by comparison to many that I've been to now it felt such a shift moving from really remote Australia to to this urban space Mm. um and I just I didn't I just didn't feel at home in any way there so I like many young Australians decided to go backpacking and I got a two-year working visa for the UK and came over and started doing nannying jobs and working at pubs and restaurants and um, in various locations around the place. And then and then I'd quit and go off backpacking through Europe and couldn't get my head around how close all the countries were. And uh. at that time, there wasn't the euro. So it was like all these different currencies and languages. And for me, <laughs> coming from Australia, which is so big, and they sound the same, you know, we sound the same on both sides or wherever you are in the, in Australia. There's very little to distinguish um, place through accent. Um, yeah, so I just in, really enjoyed being in Europe and uh and then coming back to the UK and then I went to Brazil and lived there for six months because I used to do capoeira, the martial art, when I was in Perth and had lots of friends there and really got into their culture there doing dancing and um, a few gigs and things like that and mm. travelling all over and te- teaching English um, and training capoeira. I ended up in South uh, in uh, Sao Paulo for three months, training pretty much every day doing capoeira. Um which is great, and then back to England again and moved to Cambridge and started doing open mic nights there and met a bunch of musicians, um, one guy called Rob Jackson who played guitar, like solo, layered up, loop, mm-hmm. guitar, electric, and he had a spot at Cambridge Folk Festival in the club tent and he'd seen me at an open mic night and asked me if I'd like to guest on his set. So we learnt a few songs together and played at Cambridge Folk Festival. I think this was in 2002, Mm -hmm. and um, it was received really well. So we then recorded the three songs that we'd done, and I went off to Canada for a few months backpacking before I went home to Australia. For I'd been away for almost three years. And he sent in a CDR to John Peel, who had his Radio 1 show, and John Peel loved our stuff. We were called The Low Country and started playing our songs on his show. And so suddenly we had like a few record labels interested in signing us and we had all these promoters wanting us to come to the UK, go be in the UK and play shows and stuff. So so I went back to Australia, said hi to everyone and then came back again and started doing music basically. 
So yeah, it was it wasn't intentional that I came to the UK to do music. It was more I was just trying to find my way because I felt a bit lost. What a great way to get into it though. That's like sort of yeah. to do something that people liked and then be like, okay, we'll do some more of that then. That's good. Yeah, yeah. This is working. I loved it. You know, I loved I'd always loved singing and playing guitar and I'd done lots of music in Australia, but always sort of mostly like three or four hour cover gigs yeah. in pubs. <laughs> so um which wasn't as rewarding, but I'd started writing songs and 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 then um was really enjoying writing as I was traveling. So I took a guitar with me and just a, sort of a way of documenting where I was going, like taking photographs or something, but through songs. And I wondered though, because sort of just like having a, a look at sort of points of your career and stuff, there's these amazing things that have happened. So having like your music used for TV themes for like quite major TV shows and stuff, have they yeah. all tended to be things as you've mentioned there that are like, they happened <laughs> rather than you were pitching for them or forcing them through. Yeah. Yeah. Just, they happened. Like, um, so I was working at a record shop cafe, um, in London called Brill on uh, Exmouth market. And it was near the guardian building and I didn't plan this, but, <laughs> but it was near the guardian building and near ITV and things like this. So we had lots of people come in for coffee who worked in these oh, um, right. organizations. And one of the guys, um, he uh, asked me to play at a house concert he was doing. Mm-hmm. He wanted to put on a party in his garden. Um, so I said yes and went along to that and played for an hour or whatever. And then a couple of days after I got a call from one of the guests and he said um, he'd bought a CD um, at this gig and said that he loved the CD and and that he was a composer and was working on a series called Wallander for BBC Two with Kenneth Branagh. And, um, and he asked me if – if I'd like to come to his studio to sort of record a different version of nostalgia, um, that would maybe that he could pitch to the directors. So, um, so I said yes to that, obviously. And, um, and the directors went for it and loved it. So that, that's how that came about. So just being in the right place at the right time, I guess. And, um, and yeah. And then the other bits and bobs happened, a few other collaborations with Martin Phipps, who was the composer, um, one for the Shadow Line, a BBC Two production by Hugo Blick, and then one, um, and then a Daniel Barber film called The Keeping Room, which I collaborated with Martin on. Mm. And from that, I got my own feature film job um, for a film called Hector by Jake Gavin, and so that I did, yeah, a film score for that. So, um, yeah, that. That all just, you know, one thing leads to another and um, that's how that came about. And is I think people listening might be interesting to know that would there be a correlation between doing all that kind of stuff and what that does for gigs and, in, and profile and that stuff? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah so when, um, when the Wallander theme tune was used and, and that was broadcast for the first time, it was like primetime TV, BBC One, um, and but I wasn't told I didn't have any booking agents or manager or any team whatsoever at this point or a layer you know I still release albums on my own label but with different partners but I didn't have any partners or anything so um and and nobody had told me that 
uh, it was going to be broadcast. And suddenly, <laughs> suddenly we were on tour at the time and I had booked this tour and, and all the gigs sold out all of a sudden. And, and also my, um, boyfriend at the time, his, his, my, all my stock was at, their house at his parents' house and she was doing the postage for, via band camp and I like sold out of CDs in like two days or something like this and <laughs> it was so nuts and it was before the time of streaming, just before it was, this was 2009 I think, something like that, 2008 um, and it just went nuts and it was really amazing because I, you know, never could have reached that many people. For the first um series I wasn't really able to make most of it because mm. I didn't have a team and I didn't I don't think I even had a web a website that pointed people towards or like people were having to really search hard to find out who this person was singing um this song at the start of Wallander. And but lots of people really sorted out, which was great. Um and then by the second series when that came around I had a booking agent and I had a manager. So I was able to make most of it a bit more. And I guess at that point as well, you mentioned the streaming sites weren't there, but also the T V streaming wasn't there either. So something that was a prime time BBC mm, show yeah. had mm. a big reach, I think more yeah, really perhaps big. than they do now. I mean you still have yeah. big shows now, but there's so much stuff happening all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was it was really big big show, very successful, and um, sold to sixteen countries or something like that. So it was being broadcast all over the world, um, for, you know, prime time tellies. It was very very successful show. So amazing to have a song linked with that. And with the sort of the fan base that you uh, are communicating with now, or certainly when you were playing shows early in the year and last year, are there still sort of people from that era who've who discovered you then do you think and have stuck with you yeah absolutely yeah yeah there's a lot of you know a lot of my fan base is through Wallander still you know and and I can see that from you know comments coming in on social media but often at gigs people say oh I found you through Wallander and yeah it's it's really and new fans still through through that tv show so because that's the thing yeah, they last forever, been, don't they? Like that a TV show is huge or whatever, but it has a it continues mm, to have a life because it's there forever. So yeah, you have new people discovering it all the time. Yeah, yeah. No, it's really, really such an amazing thing to have happened. And I'm interested. Then, what other ways has the has the touring circuit or certainly the industry changed then in that you know over your career? We mentioned mm. the streaming sites and that in terms of the actual technique of doing the gigs has much changed there and how you interact with the audience was I mean how are you mm. on, with social media because that was kind of in its was quite different I think wasn't it back in early north yeah. through 2008 it was how has that changed things oh so different now um I remember MySpace was around oh, yeah. um yeah so I had my MySpace profile up and going and I was quite active on that and actually when Wallander came out a friend texted me and said, you're on the front of MySpace. Um, so that was, I was like, what, why? And I didn't know it was because of Rolander at that point. Um, but um, it's changed so much. I mean, we just spend so much more of our time online mm. than we ever did before. And I think, you know, it's been, it's sort of been a gradual thing too. So it's hard to sort of pinpoint and go it suddenly became, you know, it's so demanding or, 
such a big part of the way that we work. But um, yeah, working with I've been working with Thirty Tigers um, on this album, and and they have a lot of people who um, deal with digital marketing and strategy and things like that. So I've had their input, and my manager Howard is he's a bit of a tech genius too. Mm. So um, it's been good having people's input on that and you know who sort of know how to best make it work but at the same time well and I'm very grateful for uh the interaction that I have and the people that I am able to reach and connect with on social media especially now I feel like without that it would it really would feel like did this record come out or not you know so I sort of value it but as well as I know that um, I've been really getting into a podcast called Your Undivided Attention by Tristan Harris. And he did, I don't know if you've seen on Netflix, a documentary called The Social Dilemma. Yeah. Yeah, which is amazing. And he, he's the like founder of Center for Humane Technology. And it's remarkable listening, you know, to all the ways in which, uh, yeah, these different social medias affect our well-being and how they weren't necessarily designed to have a negative effect on our brains but um and well-being but they they really are and he's really pushing for ways in which they can we we are able to better self-regulate our usage so it's funny being a part of something that you know is because they're all all these platforms are designed to keep you online, to keep yep. you scrolling, to keep your attention, so that you can be advertised to. Yep. And it's sort of also odd being a part of that, being somebody who contributes to keeping people online. Yes. But um, yeah, because ultimately, like with certain algorithms, the way that they work, they can sort of take you to on YouTube in particular, like conspiracy yep. <laughs> conspiracy yeah, yeah. theories and stuff. That's sort of where they end up because it's not about content you know there's no um what is it called Uh, accountability for Mm -hmm. with what gets posted and Mm -hmm. that's a big problem um and it's a similar thing mm. with the music in a sense isn't it is that thing of spotify or itunes or whatever would be like oh you like so and so well then you're gonna like this as well and and that's you know as a as a consumer that's great because it's dead easy because it's going to play music that i probably like but then you're losing that element of hearing something you won't like or you know, yeah. hearing something on the radio that's so unlike anything else, but you're like, oh, something in me is changing because this is a different type of music. There's a danger yeah. of losing a lot of that stuff, I think. It's it's really strange. Yeah, our ability to seek out our own, yeah. um, you know, content that to we... To be surprised as well. Yeah, and to be surprised. Which yeah, is really absolutely. important, you know. Mm-hmm. And then as creatives as well. I, do, do you go through these periods? I have these periods where I don't actually listen to that much music. And I've sort of been going through that one recently and it's, like you mentioned, podcasts. Part of the reason I started this, I just became a mad fan of podcasts. And I, yeah, so, me too, yeah. So when I was driving around from gigs, whereas before it'd be listening to albums, it's like I'm listening to podcasts all the time, which is great. But then it's like, well, mm. how good is that Hang as on. a musician <laughs> yeah. to not Shouldn't be taking be supporting on, my own Yeah, yeah supporting industry. others and taking on mm. new stuff as well. But I think it's... For me, it's a little bit of like Busman's Holiday. Like, <laughs> if I'm yeah. listening to so and so stuff, I'm thinking about, well, how have they done that? What's that? Where have they recorded this? Mm. Who's the engineer? Yeah. And it's not necessarily what I want to be doing on my downtime, maybe. 
I'm totally the same. And actually, I listen to more when I'm in the filling up phase of um, getting inspiration for songs. Then I'm like all ears on music and listening to everything and going, oh, that's great. And oh, I'm not so keen on that. And just trying to find inspiration as a direction. Mm. And that leads on to then, how are you with with comparison in general? So like through... And has it changed, you know, from when you were starting out to now? How are you with other people that you consider contemporaries on the circuit or people higher up? Are you quite happy having your own identity? Or Basically, what I'm asking yeah. is, do you get that yeah. jealousy thing? Because like a lot of people I speak to, and it comes into the social media bit again because mm, a lot of yeah, time yeah. people are putting out the best and everything and you can think, oh, so-and-so is playing this amazing tour. and Yeah, they're know. doing better than me. Yeah. You know what? I don't get it. I don't, I don't actually get it and I, I don't know why that is but I I I don't sometimes I've felt like oh I wish I was doing that Mm -hmm. or or right now I'm not doing very much and and lots of people are doing lots of things but um but I'm I think I'm just not naturally that way inclined and I'm more happy for for people who are you know who are doing well and 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 also i think just really grateful for the relationship that i have with my fans and mm. that they support what i do and that i'm able to keep on making music and doing music full time you know um so i don't feel i don't generally have that comparative thing going on which um which i'm quite relieved about because i i've spoken to a lot of people who have had that and i think it's it can be really debilitating and not something you can easily switch off from no and i think there's different ways of using that energy from the the people i've spoken to it is possible Mm. i think in that way you mentioned before of like oh they're doing it therefore it's possible so i'll go and do it as well as opposed to why are they getting to do it you know yeah yeah but everyone has has those sides to them i guess a little bit as well and again the social media thing i've sort of come to this idea with social media that it it doesn't really change anyone's personality so if you're the sort of person who's terribly competitive and will put yourself down based on what other people look like yeah they're doing then it it won't help you with that if you're the sort of person who'll go for a conspiracy theory yeah, yeah. Then you'll go for that. You know, it, yeah, sort for of have sure. that feeling and it, it rewards that behaviour, doesn't it? As you say, it's trying to keep you on those platforms all the time. Part of it yeah. as a musician for me, it's like you, you fall into the Spotify game or whatever. And we use Spotify because mm. they're the biggest one, but any of them and the social medias as well. And you're pushing this and you're doing that. And you suddenly think, I'm promoting Spotify rather than me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's, yes. they're not doing that much to reward me for it. Absolutely. Gosh, yeah. Yeah, we could do a whole episode on Spotify. <laughs> but it is this thing where we as as independent artists who, you know, aren't getting on the big curated by humans Spotify playlists mm. that are set, reserved for major label artists. Mm-hmm. And we keep on promoting to our own fans, you know, Spotify um, playlists that we've created ourselves or um, you know our own our own music on Spotify and these other platforms we're promoting them to our fans who otherwise you know potentially if, if they want to support us will buy from Bandcamp or or stream or download from Bandcamp or you know go to a record store if that's what we ask for so yeah. 
But it, there's always this dangling carrot, I think, with every release. It's like, well, maybe this, maybe yeah. this album, I'll get a, I'll get a, one of my songs on the the biggest acoustic playlist and then I'll be sorted and then I'll have, you know, 500,000 monthly listeners and then I'll be able to afford to buy food for one day or whatever, <laughs> you know. It's it's really, it's a strange um, paradox to be in where we're promoting this thing that's not going to benefit us in any way and potentially directing our um our fans towards that rather than a more sustainable um, product and or way of, you know, consuming, I guess, the our product. Because mm. it seems as if the, the way that the world is at the moment, one of the advantages of it is that we don't need the middle men and the, the person mm. between a creative and a consumer. You don't, you don't need them in the way that you might have needed a publisher for your book or you might have needed a record label to actually make vinyl, to, you know, and all that stuff. Yeah. So then why are we <laughs> allowing yeah, some of these middle people in? Yeah, why are we doing in? it? Yeah, yeah. But it yeah, that- no, it's, it's something I think is gaining, I hope, I think, it's gaining more momentum, this idea of um, I think lots of artists are thinking about boycotting Spotify now mm. and um and you know really uh putting our hopes in companies like Bandcamp who are amazing and just thinking of how much good they have done during this pandemic yeah. with the waiving their fees for a first Friday of every month yeah. so that all the money goes towards artists and um and their yeah, their whole ethos, the way that they've been set up is to support the artists rather than to exploit them. And yeah, I just think they're, they're leaders in that, in that field. And we should be, yeah, sort of plugging that as much as we can mm. rather than, you know, the few, the few people that get to benefit from Spotify, yeah. you know, sending our, our people over there. That's it. And the the mm. one for me, mate. Well, I would say it's unfair to, to keep saying Spotify. It's not unfair because they don't care. But th- no, that, that sort of model is like it's not just that the biggest stats get pushed more, but like your fans, if they're paying their nine ninety nine a month and just and listening only to listening you, to yeah, my mo- money's not going to yeah. me. That money is not going to it's me. It's still going yeah. to the big which at the end of the day is going to the big labels, who are the the ones that we we thought we maybe had got out of the shackles of. It's very irritating when you actually dig into that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, But then the problem is, is, I don't know if you ever have it like at a gig and someone will be like, oh, I don't have a CD player, so I don't buy a CD, but are you one so-and-so? To be at the point where you would be like, no. <laughs> the, the, <laughs> yeah. the thing that you use to listen to music, I'm not on. And, you know, it, it's, a, it's a difficult yeah. one, isn't it? It is, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I guess the more people who know about Bandcamp and the, maybe, I mean, Bandcamp, they say they don't do streaming, but you can you can listen to an album, yes. I think, three times before having a, or maybe you get to choose uh, this flash pop-up thing that says, um, would you consider buying the album now you've listened to it uh-huh. three times or whatever, something yeah. like that. Um, yeah, I think it'd be interesting to try to direct people towards you know, at the merch table when they go, oh, I'd love, I would get something, but I've got a Spotify account and say, oh, that's cool. Did you know that, I don't know, just working out a way that we can have that conversation and mm. maybe saying, would you consider going over to Bandcap to listen mm. to it? Mm. Or, you know, 
So, but yeah, I think we're, we're in the early stages of that conversation. Um, but I think the pandemic has made it more crucial to talk about because prior to this, I guess a lot of people were still able to make a living from live music. So with that taken away and Spotify, um, combined, it's pretty lethal for a lot of, a lot of, you know, non-major label artists. Yes, and that's something I would like to ask, like to ask you about. Actually, it seems a weird question, but I hope you know what I mean. Is it a healthy time to be an independent musician? You know, given what's been going for the last few months, but if we can be positive looking ahead and things being a bit more normal at some point in the future, mm. is it a positive time to be getting into this game compared to your experiences over your career? Oh gosh, <laughs> yeah, good question. <laughs> I. It, it's a it's hard for sure it's a uh, I don't even know how you would get into it right now other than like if you if you were sort of just starting out I guess I guess it's a time for practicing and and writing as much as you can and yeah you know recording and preparing I suppose for a time when hopefully gigs can happen again um but it is yeah, it's I, and I know that there's a lot of young bands who are like boycotting Spotify completely and doing everything on Bandcamp and making a standard. It's sort of becoming like a cool thing, which mm-hmm. is great. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so yeah, I, I mean, I would always encourage people to do music and to try to do music. You know, if it's what they love to do, then to try to do it professionally if they can. I guess it's just a hard time right now to be out also meeting people, you know, at gigs, mm. other musicians or, you know, I, when I think back to the opportunities that have come my way, they've, a lot of them have been through meeting people, you know, at gigs or at festival or, or going to some, I don't know, conference or something like that. And you get chatting and you get to meet industry people as well. Or so without that, it's quite a lot harder probably to step into but i would yeah always encourage people to to write music and and play and if they can you know follow it full time then to do that if if possible but mm. probably a harder time than than ever before to step into it mm. great mm. okay I and mean, thank you so much that's been really fascinating um great. give us a bit of a mention about the album as well which i'm, I'm having real trouble oh, yeah. saying a dark murmuration of words Beautifully that said. That was perfect. Okay, <laughs> so you mentioned the album was out earlier in September. Yeah. And it's an yeah. un- unusual one because you say, did you say you were initially were, were waiting until you could gig it and then you've just sort of thought, well, it's here, we've got to go now? Yes. Yeah, I didn't want to lose that momentum because, you know, you make an album and you're so excited about it and can't wait to share it with everybody. And we made it in November last year and I thought, oh, if we have to wait till January... 2021 also because of the pandemic when lockdown started happening i was like okay i can just about get my head around the fact that all the festivals and gigs have been cancelled but if you if this is taken away from me as a focus as well then i don't know how i'm gonna stay sane actually (laughs) because i'm so used to being you know really busy and so i was really happy that we all decided to keep the album you know, on schedule for, for this year so that there was this real focus and like there were deadlines and things like that to get assets together and 
and and that really helped yeah yes um and would that have been the first time you've done an album like that and then not toured it yeah oh yeah yeah definitely (laughs) and i think what you were sort of saying earlier about the feedback to it is you've had great feedback but then it's different Mm -hmm. to being in a room with people who've bought it and as Yeah, and you get to feel like you get to take it out and celebrate and go, hey, everyone, I've got a new record and play the songs live with your band and, like, get to perform them over and over and over again, these new songs, and, you know, develop them on stage and Mm. the, you know, nuances and the detail that you can get into when you're playing a gig every night. I love that. So I miss it. Hopefully one day. Yeah, so, you know, and, uh, who knows when? So there are plans afoot for when shows might happen, or is it just a, a pause? No, no, that's scary in itself, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I was speaking to my booking agent just yesterday, and he's just not in a position to be. He's not booking booking any tours at the moment because, um, well, he's busy fighting um, on various panels to try to make some, you know, financial changes get the government to get on board get some so he's support. quite yeah get some support he's very involved with that but also he's you know he books for Alison Krauss and 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 some really big acts and he's he's rebooked her tour three or four times now yeah. and it's just so much work and not really worth it right now yeah so, my my point of view like it's quite a small scale touring and stuff but the idea of booking a shot booking a runner shows and then having two or three in the middle where that place has gone into lockdown so those gigs don't happen and then it's yeah. that's just throwing everything out like i had an experience totally. had an experience in germany once where a couple of the gigs in the middle got canned and there were house concerts mm. so it's fine but it ended up being midsummer and i think there was football mm. on as well so trying to uh-huh. tour in germany midsummer <laughs> when there's football on is just not great when the shows in the middle that were the big house concerts have gone so yeah. I, I just have sort of almost nightmares of booking stuff and then it being like that yeah yeah and i yeah i feel the same it's to to sort of get your hopes up and then and make all these plans and then it not happen i I think i'd rather just i'm happy to just wait and paint some more walls in the house (laughs) and (laughs) and and start thinking about writing songs again and yeah the added added element of the of your your audiences and stuff as well so when i when lockdown happened i was on a joint tour with Minnie Birch and we were party through and it was going great and you know that mm. I've said this on this podcast before but there's that week where the government said the pubs are open but don't go to them it's yeah. like, well, where does that leave events then because it's like because yeah, yeah. usually the show must go on whatever happens we still do mm, the gigs if mm-hmm. we're sick we do them if there's snow we do them if there's yeah. football we do them but suddenly yeah. where it's like oh well am I asking people to come into a dangerous situation that doesn't feel yeah and that's a right. big responsibility to bear to like be encouraging people to yeah to come out and potentially put themselves at harm and that's unique in my experience and i, I guess mm. for you as well there's, that's never been something we've encountered before it's no. really odd yeah yeah really odd yes we shall see we will emerge <laughs> well, of course we will that's the thing it's just how much of a how much of the stuff is left on the other side isn't it that's the I danger know, yeah 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 that's what we got to hope you know, people like my booking agent, the Musicians Union, and various people who are fighting at that sort of government level to try to keep things going. Get some, yeah, yeah. Okay, Emily, thank you. If people want to catch up with you and find out stuff that you're working on, what's the best way to do that? 
if they go to emilybarker.com, then they, they can find everything from there. Sign up to the mailing list is the best way, actually, which you can do from there. That's a really good point, actually, because you, you mentioned about MySpace. And I mm. can remember how well, a huge deal MySpace was. And then it seemed like one night it just wasn't it's anymore. Gone. Yeah. And yeah. It, I think that with all of these platforms that we spend so much time trying to build and make a big deal. It's like, yeah. That could happen with any of them, couldn't it? Yeah, and you don't have this actual way of sort of keeping in touch with that person then because you're dependent on that interface. Whereas if you have an email, then that is like the most direct way and and I feel like very genuine way as well of like I respond to every – if anyone can – reply to a mail out that I do and I always answer everyone so I have some like really long interesting email discussions with people and yeah it feels feels a little more connected and that's another point where I think the the current situation um is an advantage there again those middlemen you know a bigger uh, an act on a major label or act in the past may not have been able to do that direct communication Mm. with their fan base just because you know of, of how it was so it's yeah we should definitely build those relationships i think well you, you, yeah you use them they're really them. important and it, it's a better relationship for the fan i think as well i think so yeah More definitely rewarding. yeah 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 great okay emily thank you so much <laughs> great thanks so much rob good to speak to you thank you for listening i hope you enjoyed that join us next time on the robert lane creative careers podcast Until then, please subscribe, rate and review and have a look at robertlanemusic.co.uk to see the other projects I'm working on. Thank you. Goodbye.